Good morning, church. Well, it seems like it's back to the future. Wow, to do an online service seems so odd, but I trust that God will continue to work powerfully as we study his word this morning. You know, we as a community has gone on a three-year journey to understand our place in God's story. It is really so important for us to understand that it's not God in our story, but rather it's us in God's story. And that's where the focus lies. And we have taken a bold step to do a three-year series, if you would, and we've broken it up into three parts, God with the people or Yahweh with the people, Jesus with the people, and the Spirit with the people. And we really have embarked on a bold, bold escapade as we have dove into the story in the scriptures. And I trust that you've been inspired. And if this is the first time you're joining us, I pray that this will be an incredible time for you and even pique your interest as we understand more our place in God's story. So let us have a prayer as we go to our Father this morning. Father, we're just so grateful that even through this medium, we can connect with each other and with you. Father, we fully understand that uh, this is not the preferred way, but uh, certainly it will have a temporary effect on us being together as a community this morning. Father, we thank you that your word is so powerful that it allows us to understand who you are and it understand, allows us to understand whose we are. I pray as we study your word this morning, as we do an overview of what we've gone through so far, and we can glean some insights into how we ought to conduct yourselves as your image bearers here on earth. Thank you for allowing us this privilege. I pray that we have proven worthy of that calling. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, our series began with this idea of understanding who God is. And we began with this idea that we are made in God's image. But also it's important that we understand how we see God. What is our view of God, our image of God? And we spent some time talking about the so-called prodigal father, how God extravagantly takes care of us and that's what he thinks about us and how he often thinks about us and we looked at Luke 15 and, and really to help us understand that and so this morning we're gonna do a little bit of overview we're we're gonna actually allow the scripture to uh, do an overview for us and and I think uh, we will be inspired and encouraged certainly as we read the scriptures and so our text for today is in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews actually 11 does an incredible job even to go through what we have gone through so far in an overview sense. And so let's go ahead and read in Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 20. It says this, and you will see even this does a great job in um, summarizing what we have gone through so far. And this is what it says. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the cities with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, but only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things so that they were looking forward to a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And that's where we had gone up to the idea of where Jacob had an incredible wrestling match. And it was some incredible insight gleaned from the story of Jacob where we see that sometimes the mark of a, of a true follower of God has with it people who walk with a limp. And to realize that the challenges and the wrestling and the struggle of Jacob left with him a change, not only a change in his identity, a change in his name forever,
that he would be transformed from a deceiver into someone who struggles with God. His identity was changed forever. And so we want to review and, and just make sure we, we coalesce, if you would, everything together so that we can have an understanding of where we are in this journey, this journey where we find ourselves in the story of God. We talked about creation and how creation was an incredibly beautiful thing. And even from inception, we decided to look at Genesis 1, not for, for its controversies, perhaps the most read chapter in the Bible, but rather we looked to learn about who our God is and how from inception God created the world as we know from what was empty and formless and gave it meaning and purpose. He turned what was chaotic, chaos to order, formless and empty and void into purpose and fulfillment. And that's the God that we serve. It serves as a beautiful image of what God can do with our chaotic lives and how he can create order out of disorder. It's an unbelievably beautiful story that the writers of the, of the book of Genesis, often reputed to be Moses, wanted us to understand the story of God. It's not a story about it's not a cosmological argument. It's not a science textbook. It's a story that tells us about how great our God is. And that is God's, has always been God's purpose for our lives. He turned what was empty into abundance and fulfillment. An incredible way that God can use our lives that at one time was purposeless and empty and perhaps even chaotic. And, no, and I know there are a lot of times, even as we do this broadcast, there are people whose lives might be empty and formless and wondering where to go or even whether or not we should continue living and exist. Some wondering, what am I going to do with this chaotic life? Can God make sense out of this. A lot of times when I am studying the Bible with people or helping people to become Christians, oftentimes people would, would remark to me, man, when I get my life in order, it's when actually I'm going to be able to settle down and, 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 and come to church or have a relationship with God. Well, that's the exact opposite of who God is. God loves us in our mess. He doesn't love the mess, but he loves us in the mess. And he is absolutely, as in his nature, wants to make order out of the chaos in our lives. He is able to do it. He did it in creation. That's what this story ultimately is all about. And God is communicating to that to us, even in the creation. And there's so many things we talked about the idea that there are seasons and rhythms in life. 
and that even from the natural creation of the world, that there's rhythms, that there's seasons, which is emblematic of the fact that we even in our lives can be going through seasons in our lives. And for us not to become judgmental when someone is actually going through different seasons in their life. And if it's not the season that you're going through, let's not be judgmental about it. You know, sometimes when we have three children at home all before the age of 10 and it's we're doing well simply to get them off to school and, and, and make sure that uh, they don't have bruised legs and, and broken arms and, and, and we'll do well to do that. And whereas someone who may not have any kids or may not have any kids at home, their life is a lot more quote, quote unquote orderly. And for us to recognize sometimes even in our lives where our parents might be going through some physical and health challenges. I know a lot of us in the congregation here in Ottawa are experiencing that with their family. I know my dad just turned 90 and my mom is in her 80s and she's struggling with Alzheimer's. And to realize that that's the season of life that I'm in. But at the same time, I've got three grandchildren, two that were born earlier this summer. And to realize that's the season of life that we're in. And one of the things that we really want to communicate and change is that the faith community that we are a part of is the place that we ought to even battle the struggles, even crisis of faith in our lives. Not only physical crisis or emotional crisis, but it's the faith community that we want to be able to be in to fight our struggles and the chaos and the challenges of our life. I mean, that's after all who God is when he turned chaos into order. That's what we're learning as we're embarking on this journey in our life. We realize that we're actually image bearers of God and that there's a great tension with being this image bearers that while we were created in God's image, we also came from dirt. And that was actually very intentional. And the idea is that for us to understand, to balance this tension and how do we deal with this tension is ultimately found in intimacy with God, in our closeness with God, that God actually has allowed us to be his representative here on earth. Can you imagine the task that God has given us to allow people to see who he is through us, his image bearers? That when God wants us to, at least in part, communicate to the world who he is, he's using us. That's a tremendous task, but it's also uh, an incredible task that God believes in us with this incredible amount of trust and faith in us. He created us with a purpose as his image bearers that in our lives, that we ought to bear fruit, to produce good things, to multiply, 
to have lots of good in our lives, to actually be the people to subdue the earth, often misunderstood, not to abuse the earth, to subdue it, to have less chaos. And we have an enormous responsibility to be able to be the ones that God has put in charge, if you would, that there's a purpose for our lives, that, that we work, that we produce the good things, that we protect, we protect others. And, and, and so there's this idea, this image being created in God with purposefulness, with intentionality. That's the journey that we have been traveling. Have you found yourself? Has you, have you seen yourself? Are you now grasping this idea how big and awesome and powerful and omnipotent our true God is? And that's the idea. It's not simply just to do lessons about, about creation and who we are, but to see the spirituality of it. That's the idea, how we are actually living this out in our lives. It's very, very, very important to understand to, that when God created us, he created us with some incredible limits and to ultimately trust his loving limits. Faith is an incredibly key ingredient. We just read that passage that is filled with the idea of what God thinks about faith. I mean, there's a statement in there that is simply unbelievable. Without faith, it is impossible to see God. And the whole idea of God helping us is to trust Him. From the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve, who were me, created in God's image, thought, no, I want to become more like God to eat from the other tree, not even realizing, or at least ignoring the fact that they were already made in God's image. And so, excitingly, God allows us to see this as he formed us, as he created us, and he writes story and helps us to understand how we fit into his story. And he calls us to ultimately trust him in spite of the limitations that we have. And that trusting in his loving limits to live within his loving limits is where true freedom lives. And it's funny, sometimes we think, man, what is God limiting me to? That's what Adam and Eve thought. And they started to take things into their own hands and only to bring utter destruction, not only in their own lives, but ultimately it's where sin entered into the world. We learn from Noah that he was, as God ultimately destroyed the world 
because man was only getting more evil all the time. They were creating songs. Lamech was creating songs about how evil he was and how he was destroying his brothers and how he was stronger and we're murder and was singing and, and was just very proud of it. And God saw that man was becoming more and more. And he says, I'm going to give them a fresh start. And he did with, with Noah. One of the most beautiful stories about Noah is that how God allowed the chaos and the, and the destruction and the evil that God lifted Noah in the ark and how he was above all of it. And ultimately, he brought Noah to a place of rest above all the chaos and the evil and the destruction. Once again, telling us about who he is and what kind of relationship that he wants with us and that how we ought to continue to trust him. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's ultimately all about the trust and faith that we have in God. And then man, once again, as we apt, we're apt to do, started wanting to become like God again, wanted to become powerful using the technology that was created at that time, which was the brick and mortar, and wanted to create a tower ultimately to get to heaven. And God realized once and more that what was being formed was empire, that humanity was being devalued, that instead of actually cherishing diversity and care, there the man had become a machine to just do things. And what empire does, what, what the idea of creating this big conglomerate when we confuse uniformity with unity. And they thought, man, if we as one language, as one people would do this, nothing would be impossible for us. And they did not understand that God's about diversity and care and not devaluing human beings. And once again, we see the heart of God in Babel. And God makes an incredible decision. He says, so many times man has just simply through their own sin and desire to become like him, desire to become not in a good way, rather to, to, to take things and wrest things from God's control and have it be in our control. It's a recurring theme. It's a recurring theme in my life. I know when things are looking a little difficult, what I try to do is to start taking things into my own hands. And I say, and I start concocting a story in my mind and not trusting God's word, not trusting his loving limits, not trusting what he said for us. And like I've shared before, and I'll share it here again, some of the most chaotic things that I deal with as a minister are people when they make decisions that take things into their own hands and chaos endures. And one of those, quite frankly, is people and the partners that they choose. A lot of times people think, man, I'm going to choose a partner, not knowing them or someone who calls themselves a Christian. 
and develop a, the most impactful earthly relationship that they will have based purely on someone's words. And then chaos ensues in the relationship. Right now, I'm dealing with a situation where someone traveled across the country to meet someone that they really didn't know that well. And they end up in prison. That's happening right now. We make decisions based on these things with getting involved in relationships that ends up being chaotic, but because the principles of God, when God says, do not be yoked with unbelievers, do not marry people of different faiths. That we sometimes confuse diversity with going outside of God's limit. And so there's a real tension, a real balance for us to figure out even in our own lives. But God is helping us to understand, to trust him. And to not take matters into our own hands, but to delve in and dive. And yet repeatedly, even as we mess up, God provides a way out over and over and over again. And so after this, this time when people confused unity with uniformity, God helps us to understand how he built his church in Acts chapter 2. And it was the exact opposite of Babel. When Babel, they were trying what, as one people with one language, with one effort, they were going to accomplish their goal. And God, as an antithesis of that which was found in Genesis 11 in the Tower of Babel, when the church began, he formed for us the blueprint, if you would, of a church that people from all different backgrounds, speaking all different languages, Interestingly, hearing the gospel in their own languages, but speaking different language from all different walks of life. And that's how the church began, with incredible diversity and care. As a matter of fact, when they came to the day of Pentecost, people from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, gathered in Pentecost. And a lot of them did not go back to where they came from. They remain in that faith community. And so what started needing to happen is that people actually start coming to live with other people. People sold possessions and goods to be able to give to those who were in need. And we saw this incredible diversity and care and compassion and this incredible unity. Not uniformity, but unity. And that's God's vision for the church. You know, whenever a church does not reflect the diversity that comes from the community, at least we have to ask the question, why not? Is it a community that is only catering to one types of people? But even from inception of the church, God makes it clear that diversity and care is what he's all about. Family is about diversity and care. And so we see that he then chooses, says, I'm going to have a plan. Man has messed it all up. And then 
from Genesis 12. Genesis 1 to 11 was all about God and his relationship with the world at large. And then he says, I'm going to redeem as he fulfilled Genesis 3, the promise he made uh, that he will ultimately bring about the salvation of man through one man. And again, God chooses a family, the family of Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I will bless you. He makes a promise with Abraham. So much of a promise. He, he went on to solidify that promise with a covenant. A co this covenant was a unilateral covenant where he says he is going to fulfill irrespective of Abraham's role. That's pretty remarkable. We saw that he ultimately chose right because Abraham trusted God. He believed God on not only one occasion, on a number of occasions, not only where he went, that he lived in tents, that God was going to provide for him, but ultimately that he made a promise to Abraham that through your offspring, Isaac, that you will be blessed and all the world will be blessed through you and because of you. And God tested him and said, do you trust me, Abraham? Then slay your son. And of course, one of the most incredible incredible moments in the scriptures we see abraham ultimate trust in the almighty as flawed as this family was abraham twice lied about well not sarah was his wife how was god going to fulfill his promise after all sarah was barren but here again we see the incredible nature of God, that God took that which was empty and he made it full. He blessed that womb and performed a miracle that at the age of 90, that which was empty and void of being able to form a child, that literally children as much as the stars in the sky and sands on the seashore, that God can turn which that which is empty to make it incredibly abundantly fruitful and purposeful with his life. Is that the God that you see when you read the scripture? That's the God that we want you to understand. That's the God that I want to understand. That's the God whose story I want to be in. That he, over and over again, he chooses a flawed family to become the father of faith. And I'm glad that God does not say that our lives is made up in moments of doubt and our worst moments. But in totality, looked at Abraham's life and said, that's a man of faith. You know, sometimes we can get stuck when we fall and we think that God is done with me. That God cannot use me. I promise to be faithful to God. I promise to do these things and then I have fallen. And I, it is my experience that most people that walk away from the faith is not because of God not giving them what they need, but ultimately it's because they have fallen and they have disappointed. They think God to the point that God wouldn't want them anymore. But God is saying as he did with the life of Abraham, that I am 
going to be faithful to my covenant with you. As a matter of fact, the scripture says, God is incapable of being unfaithful. Incapable. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with the incredible inability of God to be unfaithful? Do we abuse that? Or do we say, man, because I worship such a loving, incredible, compassionate, caring God, that I am going to turn my life over to Him. That's what we've been learning over the last little bit. We see that Abraham was someone who developed this idea that God is to be worshipped wherever we are. That he made an altar, four altars ultimately. And everywhere he basically went, he created it to be a place of worship. Isn't it amazing? That's a fulfillment of us today. That to realize that wherever we're at, it can become holy ground. It can be separate, be it in our home, be it in our workplace, be it in our play place, wherever it is, it actually can become an Abraham pray, paved that way for us. This sinful, this non-perfect family not only became the blessings in which God will bless the entire earth, but to realize that Abraham became an incredible, incredible example of God working not only because of us, but even in spite of us. And ultimately has paved the way for us to ultimately see the fact that sometimes as God makes an incredible promise that he will see salvation through, that he will actually not return to the land that where he was before us, the book of Hebrews says, but he was looking forward to a city whose foundations and architect is God. You know, that's such an incredible story for us, is to be able to not look back when we decide to fall, oh God. And even if we fall down, as Abraham did, is to get back and actually look forward to the city whose architect and foundation is God. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't give up if you've stumbled. God is not judging us, if you would, or defining us, perhaps more accurately phrased, simply by the worst moments in our lives. He didn't with Abraham. He doesn't with you. And that's why our image of who God is, is so important in our relationship with him. And of course, we realize the incredible story, soap opera story of Sarah and Hagar. When Sarah too was being faithless and she said, maybe she took matters into her own hands. Maybe God meant for, since I'm barren, Maybe God meant for Abraham's seed. And maybe through the maidservant Hagar, maybe that's how God is going to fulfill his promise and his covenant with Abraham. Of course, we see that was writhed with incredible challenge and drama. But ultimately, Sarah and Hagar is a story that helps us to see that God still hears us 
And God still sees us in spite of the fact that we can be banished, we can be pushed aside, we can be marginalized, that they created the idea and now that helps us to understand in perpetuity that God is a God who sees and God is a God that hears. That's the story of Sarah and Hagar. And then, of course, we know that Isaac was spared and ultimately gave birth to Jacob. And we look at Jacob's life and how Jacob is another story, this flawed family. He was a deceiver from the very moment that he that he connived uh, Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. And yet, in spite of that, God will still be faithful to his promise. They took matters into their own hands. Both Rebecca and Jacob took matters into their own hands. It's a recurring story that we see in the scriptures. Let me ask you a question. Are you taking matters into your own hands and are not abiding in the loving limits that God has given us? Find ourselves in God's story. And to realize that God is not done with us in spite of the errors and mistakes that we made. And the beautiful story of ultimately as Jacob was going back and and he was going to meet his brother and ultimately to his father's death, that he had an encounter with God that permanently changed his life. Yes, it left him with a limp, but it permanently changed his life from a deceiver into someone who struggles with God. I want to challenge your mind this morning to understand struggling with God is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, it became Israel's identity. And it is my experience as a Christian that there are times you're going to have moments of incredible, as we call mountaintop experiences with God. And there are moments that you're going to struggle. And in the moments of struggle is ultimately what brings about permanent change, what brings about lasting change, what brings about a change in who we are, our formation and our identity. And so this morning, I just wanted to gather us for the last six months, what have we been looking at? And to really help us to understand what that is. And as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, it's to remind us that when we got baptized into Christ, you know, in many cultures, when you get baptized, they actually change your name. Very reminiscent of what they did here with Jacob. That you're a new person, you're a new identity. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that. That you are now a new creation in God. Every Sunday we take two emblems. One that is emblematic of the blood that was shed for us. And one is emblematic of the body of Christ that was sacrificed for us. And this idea is to remind us. We are a new creation. We're not defined by our sin. We're defined by the greatest cover-up story of all. The covering of our sins with the blood of Christ. 
And so as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, wherever you're at, I pray that we really would be encouraged to remind ourselves we are a new creation as Jacob's story. And so next week we'll continue at Immaculata High School. We'll be there at 1030, of course, and we look forward to go next to one of the patriarchs in Joseph. And we look forward to continue this story and to find ourselves in the story of God. Let's give thanks for the fact that we're now a new creation because of what Christ has done on the cross. Let us pray. Father, we're just so grateful that your son has given us a new identity. That your son, because of his death and his sacrifice, has afforded us this incredible opportunity that ultimately you are faithful to your cause. Help us to be faithful to you, God. Help us not to abuse your incredible, incredible lack of ability to be unfaithful to us. Thank you for the death of Christ because it meant life for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we offer this prayer. And may your name be glorified this morning. Amen.